Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a incredibly uh, impressive man who uh, has done so much in many facets of life. Uh, he's ex-military for starters, uh, super smart guy, uh, very interesting education. I would call him a serial entrepreneur, including real estate, obviously. Most recent incredible success is in short-term rentals. Uh, he is the CEO of Living Off Rentals and host of the Living Off Rentals podcast. I'll let him tell the rest of the story. He is Kirby Atwell. Kirby, welcome to Street Smart Success. Roger, it's awesome to be here today. Yeah, you got it. And, you know, you're a, you're a fellow podcast host, so you you know what it's like to prep a little bit. And just all the t- poking around I've done is really, really impressive. So the words are genuine. And so you are, as we speak, in Northwest Indiana. But maybe what you can do, Kirby, is uh, give me the Kirby Atwell background story. You're an interesting dude, man. Where, where, where did you grow up? And give us the pre-real estate Kirby Atwell uh, path. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I grew up uh, about an hour from where I'm at now in Northwest Indiana. So I, was, I grew up in the South suburbs of Chicago. And uh, when I was growing up, I had sort of like the, the rich dad, poor dad sort of dichotomy in my household of my dad was, uh, he worked for the city. He was a, he worked for the park district. Um, so he was direct, he was a director of the park district. And then my mom ran her own insurance company, uh, insurance brokerage, you know, kind of eat what you kill type thing. So you got the real stable job on one hand. And then the other one was, um, very entrepreneurial. And I was always drawn toward my mom's, uh, path. And, uh, but I also knew that I wanted to serve in the military, like you mentioned. So, uh, after high school, decided to try to get into West Point and slid in the back door somehow because um, I played football and uh, that that helped me get in, but never actually played there. So it was a long story, but uh, but got, got to go to West Point, um, graduated, served six years as an officer in the Army, and I uh, got to travel a lot and see the world. And uh, when I was first commissioned in the Army, I picked up the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like so many other people do. Uh, and it really resonated with me, I think, just based on, you know, the way I was brought up, I kind of could uh, relate. And um, and so I knew I wanted to do real estate the rest of my life. And so I started buying a couple of rental properties when I was still in the Army. And then in 2011 is when I got out and went into real estate full time. Got it. OK, couple couple quick questions. Uh, just out of curiosity, what suburb of, yeah. uh, did you grow up in south of Chicago? In New Lenox, which is uh, right near Joliet, which was made famous by the Blues Brothers. Blues Brothers. How how far? How far? <laughs> and, and yes, I'm old enough to know the Blues Brothers. How how far south is that of, uh, of Chicago? Uh, it's about 45 yeah. minutes outside right, of the so city. suburban. You know what? Uh, I I know a guy uh, who I knew through my business, and I've known for a long time. Great guy who went to college with uh, John Belushi. Yeah. <laughs> nice. so, but that was an experience yeah, in college. Yeah, they were, you know, yeah, to, to say the least. So um, anyway, you, you had to go with the Blues Brothers reference. So I am actually interested. Well, first of all, 
when you knew that you wanted to get into the military, how did you like what informed that sense at an early age? Yeah, I think it was uh, just family um, influence. You know, my my dad served in the army. Both my grandparents served in, you know, so my dad was in during Vietnam. He didn't actually have to go to Vietnam. Both my grandparents were in World War II. My great grandparents were in World War One, So it was like, you know, so much uh, influence by the family. And I knew that it was something I wanted to do just to kind of serve. But I, I knew I also didn't want to make it a career. I was very happy to get my life back after I uh, I served and got out. But uh, but it was it was a good experience to have. Hmm. Uh, and so, you know, what's the uh, you alluded to? There's a story behind why you didn't play football at at, uh, at West Point. What's that story? Yeah, it, I mean, there's there's no reason on paper that I should have got into West Point. Uh, half my class was valedictorians or salutatorians of their high school, and I was not in the running to be a valedictorian or salutatorian in my high school. So, um, so based just academically, I shouldn't have got in. But they, I went and visited, and I went to the admissions office, and they said, "No, you're you're definitely not getting in. Uh, you can try again next year if you want." And then I went from there to the football coach's office and, and he said, you know, you're not a, a blue chip recruit. You're, you're a decent football player, but you're not like all state or anything like that. So we can send you to prep school for a year. You can play at prep school. You don't get any college credit, but you play at prep school for a year. And then you come up here and as long as you pass prep school, you get in to West Point. So that sounded good. I went and played at prep school and then I got to West Point and they brought in a new coaching staff uh, and I got cut pretty much day one. So the thing that got me into the school uh, didn't it, it didn't impact my my time there, but I still got four years of of uh, school paid for by the government and uh, got to go through the experience. Boy, I just learned something, and uh, you know that's probably why I really enjoy doing this podcast. I knew that you had to have a super high GPA. I I knew that that West Point was the creme de la creme. I did not know that half of the students or thereabouts were, were valedictorian salutatorians. That is really amazing. I didn't know that. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of them there. <laughs> Felt a little out of yeah, place. Smart, smart people. So now there, there's a guy I've had on my show a couple times that went to West Point, and uh, you know we talked and joked. Hey, I bought, you know had a nice conversation like we're having now, but now all of a sudden. And he, he, that guy's in a different light in my brain. What, what prep school did they send you to? So West Point actually has a oh, prep okay. school. Uh, back then it was located in New Jersey and there was about 200 of us that went there either prior military um, that had served and they kind of needed a transition year back to academics or it was athletes that they, you know, weren't quite there academically, but they were going to work for a year to, to bring, you know, their SAT scores up and their, their, uh, work academically while they're kind of, it's like a red shirt year for, for, uh, for, uh, athletics as well. I see. Okay. Thank you so much for, uh, being patient as I ask the detailed questions of your past. (laughs) Yeah. How did you, so you read rich dad, poor dad, maybe that's what informed you about real estate. What has been your real estate career? Yeah. Um, so when I read that, what, what intrigued me about the book was, was financial freedom. I, I knew that that was like what I wanted to get to. But then when I got out of the army in 2011, I kind of veered off course um, in terms of I, I felt like now I don't have a W-2 job, so I can't get any financing for long-term um, loans. And so I started a flipping company with a couple of friends of mine that I grew up with. Uh, and we, over the next five years, flipped about 70 houses around Chicago And after five years, I realized that I was on this giant treadmill that I was never going to get off. It was like this just hustle for the next deal. 
And I had nothing to show for it in terms of assets or cash flow or any recurring income. Uh, we were making a lot more money, but we were also spending a lot more money on this machine that we were creating. So after five years, I realized I, I want to get back to the roots of why I liked Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I want to get to financial freedom. And so I knew I, re I realized I needed assets to do that. So um, I, uh, I started buying long-term rentals then. Um, and very quickly, within the next couple of years, I discovered short-term rentals around 2017. When we moved into our house and converted our lower level, which had a walkout basement, into an Airbnb. And it just performed incredibly well. Uh, and from there, we just really scaled it. And what, tell me what town that is in where you lived, where you had, had the unit as a, as a short-term rental. Yeah. So we were kind of talking before this, that I used to live on Lake Michigan and there's a little town called Beverly Shores, um, that is a really cool little town. And, uh, we bought a house that was all original 1975 inside with the shag carpets and wood paneling. And, and so we, uh, we, we rehabbed that whole house and it had this unfinished walkout basement. And so at the time we were like, you know, we keep hearing about this Airbnb thing, you know, what's the worst that can happen if we throw $30,000 into the basement, turn it into a one bedroom apartment, we, we're probably increasing the equity in our property anyway. And so let's just give it a shot. And over that first summer, we basically finished it right before Memorial Day. And then basically between Memorial Day and just after Labor Day, we made over $20,000 in income on this dinky little one bedroom apartment in our basement. And I was sitting there going, man, this is, uh, this could work. This could work really well. My God, that's, I can't do the math that quick. So how much were you getting a night? Uh, I think it was around like 250. It was a while ago. Um, so I, I think it would average to around like 250 a night or two, between 200 and 250 a night. But when we put it on, on the market, like right before Labor Day, we booked up almost the whole summer. So I realized later on, once I understood pricing strategy and that sort of thing, that I probably priced it way too low because it's right on the water. You walk across the street and you're on the beach and there just wasn't that many properties like that. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, it took off. So, so Beverly Shores is like a beach destination? Uh, it's kind of a small town beach. Yeah, it's, it's a beach town. So there's, it's a neighborhood where, you know, we were, we were right on kind of the, the water and then there's, there's, uh, you know, uh, a whole neighborhood that kind of, it's, it's got a bunch of history. Um, but it's, it is kind of a cool little beach town. There's not like restaurants and stuff like that. It's a neighborhood. Um, but it's right, uh, right on Lake Michigan. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, who were the renters then? Like what, why would people be in search of a one bedroom for a short term stay in that particular in, in Beverly Shores at that time over the summer? Yeah. And that's the question we get a lot, just in Indiana in general, like who, who rents a short-term rental in Indiana, but you'd be surprised. Like so many people from Chicago want to get away for the weekend or for a week in the summertime, especially, and be right on the lake. Uh, there are like wineries around the area. There's a casino not too far away in, in Michigan city. There's a big outlet mall there. There's um, just little, little things to do in the area that it's a nice little getaway destination. So people from Indianapolis who have never seen the Great Lakes, you know, would book a place there. People from Chicago who just want to get out of the city or even people from Detroit would come over. Um, so it's, it's a drivable distance for a lot of different people. I see. Do you still own that property? We don't. So, so technically there's an ordinance against those in Beverly Shores, but it was kind of like, if you live there, it was okay. 
But if you did not live there, then you, uh, they, they would clamp down on it and you, you weren't allowed to do it. So, so we lived upstairs in our house and then just did the basement. So it was kind of, it was okay. It was, it was sort of unspoken that it was okay, but we decided we wanted to scale this. Um, and so, and we also wanted more room for our kids. We have three kids under six. And so we decided to buy a 45 acre farm, uh, not too far away. And so we've kind of scaled it out now to where, uh, now we've got an Airbnb in the barn in the back that we converted, um, into a sort of a multi-use space. So we've got an Airbnb in it. We've got a gym in it. My office where I'm standing right now is in this barn. My wife has an antique shop in part of it. So it's a really big pole barn and, uh, we're building out more in, uh, in the future. We're going to be building out more of these rentals on the, the land itself. Well, you know what? I actually feel sorry for you, though. You want to know why? Why's that? Three kids under six. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, I couldn't go back there. Yeah. And my wife is not done. She would keep having them until she, until uh, Mother Nature tells her she can't anymore. You, so we'll see you how it goes. married a good woman. You yeah. married a good woman, I could tell right now. Yes. Okay. Well, I thank you for allowing me to humor myself. Okay. So I was on your site and you've got a lot of very, very, very compelling case stories and so uh, tell me about what like your relationship to those case stories are. Do you do you coach? Do you find properties for people, manage them? Because I know there's all kinds of variations and hybrid applications where I just, just you know, describe the people that are in this space. So what do you what do you do at this point? Yeah, I I have a very sort of specific strategy for investing in short term rentals um, and I can share that in a minute. But basically what I do in terms of how I help other people is I, I help people who are working full-time find, buy, and set up their first really high cash flowing short-term rental. And so I think right now, short-term rentals over the last couple of years since COVID have kind of blown up. And when people think of short-term rentals, they automatically default to vacation rental areas, you know, the Gatlinburgs or the, you know, the Destin Beach, Florida type locations. Um, and, and those can work, they can serve a purpose, but I have a totally different approach to investing in short-term rentals than those type of properties. And people who are now investing in those type of properties are really kind of struggling with the higher interest rates, the higher cost with appreciation and to really get, you know, cash flow. My strategy is much more low cost properties that serve both vacation rental and utilitarian purposes. They can also, if you had to convert them back to, to long-term rentals, they can work phenomenally well as long-term rentals as well. So areas like where I invest in Michigan City, Indiana, um, you can buy a property for a few hundred thousand dollars that's got uh, either two or three units to it worth of income coming in. So you make each unit its own short-term rental, or you can rent the whole building out together. And the cash flow compared to the purchase price, the ROI per dollar invested is just phenomenal compared to some of these higher end single family um, destination type uh, locations. So in Michigan City, why does somebody, which I don't even, I don't know anything about Michigan City. Most people don't. But I know what you're talking about, about, you know, like the Gatlinburgs and Destins of the world. And you didn't even mention more competition to boot. You just said, you know, the prices of the real estate are going way up and so in a scenario like that, so let's say you have two to three units, why does the renter do short term as opposed to long term? Yeah, I guess that's the question. Yeah, I mean, you could set them up for either way. I mean, like I said, they'll cash flow as long term rentals. But if you use it as a short term rental, so we like 
I can give you an example of our most recent deal. Um, it's in downtown Michigan City, which is a city of like 30,000 people. So it's not a huge city, but it's an hour outside of Chicago. Like I said, it's on Lake Michigan. There's some local draws. That's kind of the ideal area. Anywhere kind of in the Midwest, Southeast, where if you get just outside of some of these larger cities, you can buy super inexpensive properties, but yet there's still local draws to where people are visiting there. Even if it's just for weddings or funerals or work or nurses staying for you know a few months for traveling jobs, there's so many different reasons that people would book a place that's on par with a hotel room, but you're getting you know a whole house or a whole unit to yourself with a kitchen. Um, and so that's the type of place where we invest. So like our most recent deal, we bought right downtown Michigan City. It was uh, it, totally nasty. I mean, it, it was inherited by somebody who his dad hadn't done any maintenance on it for the last 20, 30 years. Um, and uh, and so it needed to be rehabbed. So we bought it for 105000 Wow. Um, and we put 220000 into it to gutting the whole place and making it absolutely beautiful. Um, and then, so we've got about, you know, 325 into it. It appraises for 365. So we, you know, refinance out most of our, our cash out of it or the, the initial loan out of it. And now going forward, it cash flows six to $7,000 per month because we're using each unit as a, as a short-term rental. So like this past month in July, it brought in about close to $20,000 in gross revenue. Um, you know, in the winter time, it might be, you know, $8,000 in gross revenue. Um, but on average, it'll average between six and $7,000 because you just have very low expenses, very low taxes, very low insurance because it's just a lower cost property. But there's local draws that you still get booked up. Even if it's at $150 a night, it adds up across three separate units. Okay. Well, in the way I phrased my question was probably the wrong way because um, I was saying, why would somebody not opt to do be a long-term renter? The, the, the re, you, you've answered the question. The question was worded poorly. The bottom line is, <laughs> no. the bottom line is, is that these are, as you eloquently described, these are markets that maybe are an hour away from a major metro where there is reason for people to go there for a, you know, for a short-term stay. That, that's really what it boils down to. So that's kind of, yeah. that's the, yeah, exactly. that's the equation. Okay. I, I, look, I, I totally get it. So, so where I live, and then we actually have a second home, and which is this also applies the the, the short term rentals. It's so uh, regulated against you. You're, you can't make money in that business. And these like where I am, right outside, right outside of San Francisco, I think in in the city, which I don't own, own property there anymore. But I think it's like literally sixty days a year. My guess is that you're not seeing that in Indiana at all. So I guess the question is, could you? I guess how insulated from that possibility are you? And I, and I understand you said, hey, these things will pencil as long terms, worst case scenario, you covered that base. But are you, you think you're in the clear for the foreseeable future? These just are, are markets that just aren't going to be regulated or what's the thinking around that? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And th there's so many nuances to the way I approach this compared to what's intuitive. So I think the intuitive answer typically when people get into short-term rentals is the vacation rental spots, that are like the, the ones everybody knows about or big cities. And I kind of like to get the benefits of those areas without actually being in those areas. So if I was going to look at a vacation rental spot or a big city, I might be drawn toward a city that I, I like, say, uh, say it's Indianapolis, you know, like I like Indiana, the rules are really, uh, you know, investor friendly. Um, and I might want to invest in Indianapolis, 
but there's probably 50 towns within a, for sure, within an hour drive, probably 50 towns within a 25 minute drive to downtown Indianapolis that are all around Indianapolis. And if you look at the price point of buying the exact same property downtown Indianapolis compared to just outside, it's usually a half or a third for the same property. But the nightly rate, if you look at the nightly rate on Airbnb, it might be 20% less outside of the city, you know, because there's still reasons that people book in that area. So your ROI is so much higher. And then when you look at it from a regulation standpoint, which was your question, the, the regulations are always the most strict in these big cities, you know, because there's a lot more of them to regulate. And so they, they come up with more restrictive rules, especially in areas like California. It's, you know, it's, it's one of the most restrictive states. So I buy an areas just outside of the restricted areas. So if it is a city or a vacation area where they only have certain number of permits, you buy just outside, like um, Denver is a great example. It's known for being one of the most restrictive short-term rental areas. But if you bought in a suburb just outside of Denver, they might be very open and very happy with short-term rentals. And so I always target places that have already made rules because once the rules on the books, you can kind of count on that a little bit more than, you know, they don't typically change the rules every year. It's like, this is the rule of, of how we're handling this. Um, and so it's already established. And so that's how it is in Michigan city. They have a rule. You just have to register with the city. There's no, um, there's no inspections. There's no fee. They just want to know who the owner is. And they're very open to it. They want short-term rentals because they want tourists to come in. It's a, an old industrial town that is bringing in money. It's helping businesses. Um, so that's not the picture that's painted. Most people think that all governments want to restrict these. There's governments out there that are very welcoming to short-term rentals and they want to bring in more, um, more industry into their area. And so I just, you, you know, work in those areas and it's so much easier than trying to fight the red tape of investing in these uh, larger cities or more established areas. Mm. And, and I'm going to take the Indianapolis example because you gave it and maybe you didn't attempt for, for it to be in this context, but um, so you can just correct me. But in Indianapolis, like um, like you're like Michigan City, you know, you said, look, it's close enough to Chicago, but it has it has things that people it, it has draws to it. But if you if mm -hmm. you go to a suburb of Indianapolis, Carmel, Indianapolis, or it's the only one I know. So, you know, or, or others, but do they have a draw? Yeah. Like what's the draw of a, of, a, of a town that's, you know, 20 miles from the downtown Indianapolis? I get that question all the time. Um, and you can look on airdna.co. That's kind of the, the, the leader in the um, data space around short-term rentals. And you can see how many there are in these towns, what they rent for on a nightly basis, um, and what their occupancy level is. And you're just, I think you'd be shocked at, at a lot. And it's not just carte blanche. Every suburb is going to work well. But an area like, you know, if you want to use Carmel, for example, I wouldn't invest in Carmel because it's one of the most expensive suburbs. Um, there's other ones that are a lot cheaper that you still get the same nightly rate, but there's tons of shops, restaurants, there's, there's families, people come in for, to visit family. They don't want to stay with family. They want to see family. Um, there's weddings and funerals and all that stuff. Then there's work related reasons. Um, and then, you know, people, there's so many reasons why people just want to get away. You know, if they want to get out of the city and just go out and explore a new area. Um, so it just... Uh, it's surprising and it's not intuitive, but it can work really, really well. And so I try to find the place with the lowest 
average purchase price compared to the highest combination of nightly rate and occupancy. And if you can find that um, combination, that's the town to really focus in on. You know, I'm not really a smart guy, but but I even I, Kirby, understand that. <laughs> You know, and, I, and I'm drilling you, I'm drilling you, but I got to tell you something, you know, uh, a couple years ago, even though I live in the Bay Area, I'm actually from Cleveland and, and I, yeah, oh, okay. and I, and when we go at least my family, wife and kids, we go at least once a year, we go every Thanksgiving period. And then if there's another, like you said, there's a wedding, there's a funeral, there's a this, there's a that, so maybe twice a year. And, and one year, uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, they were going from going to Cleveland as well. And they stayed at an Airbnb. And um, we looked at it too. We're like, like, so I was surprised they even have an Airbnb in Cleveland. <laughs> but the point, but it, but it makes your point because like you said, I mean, people are getting, you know, Northeast Ohio has over 3 million people, right? People don't know this. So, you know, yeah, people are getting married there, you know, every weekend of the year and, and there's funerals every day that, that, that doesn't cease. And, uh, and then, and then the X factor of, you know, you know, graduation or just going home to visit the family. And, and it's still the intrinsics make sense because especially if I'm going with my family, it's an economic thing. So if Cleveland, I'm sure it's 225 to 250 a night for a nice old home in a nice old neighborhood that you'd want to stay in. It's cheaper than getting two hotel rooms and in the family get to hang out together. You know, if you, if you actually like each other, which my family, we actually yeah. do. Um, I get it. And that makes it makes it it's, it's compelling. And uh, what you're doing is so. So, like you said, it's not intuitive, but um it kind of is intuitive to just buy way, way cheaper. And, and you're not really having to sacrifice much on the daily, on the nightly rent. Are, are there companies in, we'll just stick with Indianapolis or Cleveland or what have you. Are there companies uh, that just do short or that are property management companies that just do short-term rentals in mass or are they just starting to pop up? Cause I know that's a, obviously it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it, you're in the hospitality business is what you're in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and those have grown in, in popularity or there's, there's been a lot more of them pop up as, as short-term rentals have got become more popular. There's companies called um, like Evolve is, is an example of one or Vacasa. These are massive short-term rental management companies and they've grown that to that size. You know, they obviously get new clients, but they uh, have acquired a lot of short-term rental managers over the years and acquired properties that way. Um, I think that mom and pop short-term rental investors have such an advantage over these big guys. Um, and and it, again, it's not it's almost like everything that seems intuitive about short-term rentals is the opposite. Um, but I think it's like 75 or 73 percent of people who were polled said that they use short-term rentals because they want to experience a localized experience. Um, and so by providing that, we get rave reviews. We've got, I mean, we have well over a thousand reviews at this point. Um, and the vast majority of them are five stars. And it's because we do just little things that make it a personalized experience. We have the whole history of Michigan City printed on these canvases on the wall. Um, we leave a personalized note, uh, our, our cleaners do. You know, we do just little things. We leave a bottle of wine from a, a local place uh, for each of our guests. And it's not a huge uh, deal for us or, or very difficult for us, but it's the leg up above, you know, the evolves. It's a commodity. We have a process for everything just kind of being the same. 
um, and it's a nameless, faceless corporation that's managing it. They can see the guests can see that as opposed to Kirby and Taryn, my wife and I, who are the hosts for ours. And it, we sign everything with our names. You can contact us if you want to. Um, we have a great staff that still supports us and does all the day to day, but it's, there's a personal connection there and people love that. So, um, so I think it's a great space to be in if you're a mom and pop, um, and these, these, uh, management companies for vacation rentals, the average going rate is between 20 and 30%, uh, for a full service manager, which is a lot of your gross revenue. Do you, so, so then, uh, along the lines of what you do for people that you help, you said you find, you know, you help find the properties. Do you then also manage the properties for investors? I thought about that for a while. I almost decided to. Um, and then I realized that that's not really the, the part of it that I'm super passionate about. So we manage our own. We have a really good process for it. But I got wanted to get to financial freedom, not to have bosses. Um, so the thought of bringing on, you know, 50 owners that were kind of bosses that I was accountable to. And if I refunded somebody, I had to, you know, explain to them and, Get, get criticized about, you know, my performance every day. It just, it just didn't sound appealing for the, um, for the amount that I was going to make from that. So I would much rather own, we have 21 vacation rental listings right now, and we own every one of them. Um, and they're just, uh, I'm passionate about it because I own it. I get all the upside benefit of it, get the equity, the tax write-off, all of that stuff in addition to really good cash flow. So, so I don't personally, I know some other people who do, they love that part of it. Um, but it's just not the part I'm passionate you, about. You don't have to sell it to me. I, I wouldn't do that. I would, I'd, <laughs> I'd rather put a fork in my eye than do that for a living. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to convince me. I was just asking the question. Okay. Yeah. So, so I guess what is, what is your involvement, I guess, with, with people? I mean, is part of your business helping people find properties? Are you an agent? Do you sell properties? I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out. It, yeah. Got it. Yeah. So obviously we have our, our business where we buy them, we, we rent them out. And then the other side of our business um, is teaching people this, you know, helping people who are working full-time find, buy, and set it up. So, so we have a step-by-step process, a program that, um, that people can enroll in and follow the process. And then I personally will work with them to, you know, underwrite the deal, make sure that it, it makes sense, um, help them through that process when there's any questions. Um, so it's been super fulfilling, you know, working to get to financial freedom ourselves and then teaching people the same process that we followed to get there and seeing, you know, people reaching out saying this literally changed my life because I have so much more freedom now. I can do the things that I never thought I'd, I'd be able to do with a nine to five job. Yeah. I mean, the back, you know, the reason for my line of questioning is that I think what you've established in your approach and philosophy to it, I think is, is brilliant. And, uh, I do this podcast to learn and to, to invest money in this and that, uh, boldly put. And and so I <laughs> I look at like your, your, your like your case studies on your website. And even if I'm cynical, which I am, and I and if I discount them in, in in my mind, go yeah, but they're a year old, they're two years old, and things have changed. And you know, I'm not saying all that's true, but I'm saying even if they have, and you chop them down by fifty percent, the IRRs are still stratospherically high. Yeah. So I'm immensely compelled yeah. what you do, but where my mind goes is being kind of an old, uh, you know, um, a Neanderthal when it comes to technology and this kind of stuff. <laughs> 
I don't envision myself being able to manage these kind of properties like you and your wife do. And my wife is, our balance sheet is too strong to be blunt for her to be motivated enough to do it. She could do it. She's smart, but she's, she's too spoiled <laughs> at this point. So, so that's where my mind goes. It's like, I think what, it, there's so many brilliant things to what you're doing for starting with, there's a housing shortage in the country, right? And especially those kind of markets where you're in, I can't imagine there's a lot of new housing inventory that's been built in Michigan city. Uh, it's hard for me to envision that. And so, uh, and so therefore, you know, like you said, well, you know, if the, the plan B or plan C is, well, okay, for something happens, this is no longer viable. I'll just rent them long-term and it's still pencils. And then you're getting the appreciation, you know, and the single family homes appreciate, you know, it's a brilliant model. I'm for some reason, I'm talking too much all of a sudden. Um, no, no. <laughs> okay. No. Uh, yeah. And I, I fully agree. I mean, I, that's uh, it. Like I said, it, everything is, is so counterintuitive to this, this strategy, but it just kind of, uh, it, it works really well, you know, for the long term. Are, and are your, your homes um, all in Michigan City or what is your, I guess, geographic footprint? Yeah, you know, and this is what I kind of recommend to other people too. When we were first getting started, we were very specific about the location. We tried to figure out where's the best area that we can think of that this would work. And then we concentrated our effort there. And the economies of scale have been super beneficial for us working toward financial freedom because we have one, one team. So now we have, you know, uh, I think it's 11 different cleaners at this point that can within five minutes be at our different properties because um, they're all right there. The furthest ones are the ones on our property here. We actually live in Valparaiso, um, which is like 20 minutes away from Michigan City. So all of them are here. Um, we've got the same cleaners, same handymans. We know the rules. We know the realtors in the area. So our initial goal was to build up a base of cash flow to a point where, you know, it supported us. And now we're actually building two duplexes um, down in, in uh, Port Charlotte, Florida. Um, so that's kind of our, our long-term goal was build up the cash flow here uh, locally. And then long-term, we wanted to be in a warmer climate um, following the same strategy. You know, Port Charlotte's a pretty affordable area. Um, we're building them because the numbers make sense and they're duplexes. So they're going to have a shared pool. So we're going to have two sets of income coming in on one set of expenses. And, uh, it's something we could use ourselves in the winter. Um, and there's just, uh, it just makes a lot of sense. So not quite as good a cash flow as we can get here in Indiana, but, uh, more appreciation, more, more. Uh, it's just a kind of diversification at this point. I, I had uh, breakfast with a cousin of mine on Sunday who was in town and uh, he said, you could put a wall around Florida, 10 foot wall, and people still will not start. Those people will, will still not stop coming. So, uh, yeah, so I think you're <laughs> spot on with the appreciation. Where is Port, should you say Port Charles? You said, where is this, where is that? Uh, Port Charlotte. Charlotte. I've actually never been okay. there. Um, I've never even been to the... Uh, it's on the Gulf side. I've never even been to the Gulf side of Florida, but the, the numbers make a ton of sense when you're doing the research. Um, so it's just north of like Fort Myers and uh, Cape Coral. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I know where yeah. that is. And those areas have exploded. So yeah, I'm sure you're, you're bulletproof yeah. on your thesis. Um, why do investors who attempt to do this, uh, maybe you have the answer to this, maybe you don't. Uh, but why why do you think people fail at, at the short-term rental business? I feel like there's, after talking to a lot of different people and working with a lot of different people, there is a disconnect between, uh, I heard someone say before that the, the video has to match the audio. 
And uh, so it means like your actions have to match what you're saying. And there's a, a disconnect between the uh, having a clear outcome and the actions that are going to support that outcome. Because this was very true for me for many years until we kind of figured out um, how to get more clear on this. But I think it's so, so important as a first step for people to establish the very clear outcome in detail. Like, how do you want to live your days five years down the road, 10 years down the road? And I think it's very different than going into something and saying, I just want to make a bunch of money and I just want to be successful because you can't make decisions off of that. You can make very informed decisions off of a very clear, specific outcome. Because you can backwards plan from there. And then every time you're about to buy a property or about to um, do anything in, in real estate, you can ask the question, is this the best thing I can do right now to get me to that specific outcome? Because there's a lot of good options out there. There's a lot of good deals out there. But for a while, I was flipping properties. I was chasing equity um, in properties. And it, it wasn't getting me to financial freedom any quicker. And then once I realized, okay, I need to pursue more affordable properties that can get me the highest cash flow possible, that's when I discovered this strategy and sort of created a system around it, that's when everything changed. And it was all based off of the outcome that we had established um, and got really clear on after I got married uh, in 2016. So, so yeah, so that's, or I'm sorry, we got married in 2015. We established the outcome in 2016. So I think that's, that's the main thing that I notice that people are not clear on. Well, I would say this, I mean, in response, no matter what your goals are, you're going to have to increase them by about 300% as long as your wife wants to have more kids. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) What percentage of uh, your nights rented across your portfolio is like Airbnb versus VRBO versus et cetera? Airbnb has the vast market share, the vast majority of market share in most uh, markets. There's there's some that are kind of longer. They've been established for a long time, and VRBO was the um, it, it's been around longer, and so so some of them have uh, more market share with VRBO. But for us, it's probably about seventy to seventy five percent Airbnb, and then we'll do the the rest is mostly VRBO. Um, or I guess VRBO or direct bookings at this point, because it's a lot of return guests do direct bookings. Um, so we have a, a website set up where they can come back and they can just book with us directly and it kind of eliminates all the extra fees for got, them. So Got it. Uh, as you know, uh, you know, clearly better than I do, uh, a lot of, you know, it's just what you read kind of thing, what I read in the, you know, in the paper, blah, 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 Wall Street Journal. Is that a lot of, there is a lot of excess inventory of, of short term rentals. But to your point, like in, you know, in the, in the markets where everybody wanted to be, you know, like you said, Gatlinburg or Destin, Florida, you know, the obvious ones where people really doubled down. And in my mind, the, like the whole and the whole deal is just you can't, unlike a hotel, it costs a lot of money to build and you could pretty much know what the competitive landscape is. That doesn't apply to short term rentals. I don't think. And certainly not to the extent. So I guess where you are, do you, is the market shifted at all in the last couple of few years or more people? Is there more short-term rental inventory? What is, what is the state of the market where you are? Yeah. That, I mean, again, I think this is another benefit of the, the way that we invest is because it's not super competitive. Um, so we don't have, you know, if you're in Gatlinburg, you have to offer every type of amenity imaginable and try to one up the other guy because it's a small pool of, of renters and there's 
a lot of properties to choose from now. Where we're at, the bar is pretty low. There's, uh, it's not super highly competitive. So to be one of the best is, is fairly simple. You know, you still have to do the things, but it, it's a, a simple process. And so we've had about a 70% occupancy. Actually, I can show you. Here's our, um, this is, I don't know if you can see that on the, but the, these are our uh, bookings right now. Yeah. You know, so as I, this is our um, site, uh, it's, it clicked into one, but it's right now where we are almost every single night booked across every single platform, across every single property. And all summer long, that's how it is. So it's almost a hundred percent because there's just not enough inventory for the amount of people that want to travel. Then in the winter, it'll be like 50%, you know, it'll be long weekends mostly. And then we'll get the occasional, you know, longer booking. So that averages to about 70% across the year. The good thing is when it's a hundred percent, that's also our highest nightly rate. So it can be double or triple what it is in the winter time. And so that's when you really make all your money. So um, so yeah, it's, it hasn't changed much in terms of, um, the occupancy level since we started, um, it, it's been around 70% across all of our properties. Mm, fantastic. Uh, good for you, man. I mean, you, 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 you figured it out. So if somebody is thinking about getting into the business and they, they need kind of a blueprint, uh, which sounds like you would be more than, uh, capable of providing, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah. So uh, I think there's two different options um, depending on where you're at. But if you want to set up a call with me, um, you can just go to livingoffrentals.com forward slash call. And uh, there's a quick questionnaire there and then a link to my calendar and you can book a call with me directly and we can talk through, you know, my, my program and your goals and see if it's a good fit. Um, if you just want to learn more, you can go to livingoffrentals.com forward slash start. And uh, I, I update, I do a regular um, free training there um, on a topic that I think is really uh, important and relates to this type of strategy. So I think uh, depending on when you listen to this, the training might be different, um, but it's uh, a, a really good introduction to my philosophy on uh, on investing. Got it. Kirby, this has been a joy as far as I'm concerned um, because I have in, I've interviewed a handful of short-term rental entrepreneurs over the last couple of years and uh, you know they're they're all doing well or at least were when I interviewed them but, but your, your your approach uh, from a guy like myself from the Midwest I mean it sounds like it's it, it's ingenious from the standpoint that you your downside is covered so from that perspective there's only upside and I like that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's been great being here. I really appreciate you having Got me. Got it. And uh, I'll uh, circle back and maybe we could do it again next year. Thanks, awesome. Kirby. Sounds good. Talk to you. Thanks, Roger. Bye.